So I just want to remind us, as we've been, we've been walking through this catechism since early last fall. We're, there are 52 questions in here. We're at question 17, you know, because we stopped, we stopped to celebrate Jesus' birth. We'll stop to, we'll stop to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. You know, stuff gets in the way, important things. Get it? Important things. And so just, just reminding you, if you want to look at this catechism, you can go online and find the New City Catechism. You can download an app to your phone, or it's also online. You can look at these questions and answers. This is not necessarily our catechism, but it is a catechism. And a catechism is, again, a way that Christians have traditionally taught the doctrine of the church, and we do it in a question-and-answer format. Why we adopted that, I'm not sure, but that is just how it's been throughout history. And so we started out talking about who are we, who is God, and of course we've learned that our goal and our chief end is to do what? To glorify God and enjoy God forever. And we also learned that God is a triunity, a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that you cannot separate the work that God does into any individual part, but we see each one of them distinctly as well. It's an interesting and beautiful doctrine because it's all about relationships. So we remember that our God is a relationship. So we talk about that Christians are monotheists, but I always say like, well, yes, and not really. We're, we're Trinitarians. We're monotheists. We believe in one God. That one God is a, is a relationship. So we're really Trinitarians in, in the truest sense of the word. And so we, I mean, maybe we shouldn't have been called Christians. Maybe we should have been called Trinitarians, but that's another argument for another time. And we also believe that, that, that God, this triunity, is love. We believe that, that God's love is what supersedes and flows through everything. And that and a, this love is not a fluffy kind of love, though it's a beautiful, wonderful kind of love. But it also is a love that when you truly love somebody deeply and purely, that it calls out the best in them. It also makes, it also makes them able to look at where they are broken and to see a way forward and calls them on a way forward. And so we've just been, we've been walking through things. And then, of course, we, we began to run into some of the heavier, what, we, what I might call the heavier doctrines, the doctrines of sin and the doctrines of our brokenness. And, and so today we're going to be, the question is, what is idolatry? What is idolatry? But first, now that I've explained all that, first, we need to practice a little something. So get ready. When someone tells a, a bad joke... We often go, wah, wah, wah. Okay, so let's practice that. Bad joke. Okay, so here's, here's, the, here's the idolatry joke. You know, as a Christian, as a Christian I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of uh, Billy Idol cover bands. Because the Bible says we're not supposed to have false idols. Thank you, thank you very much. Just thought that'd be a great way to start out talking about idols. There are no good idol jokes. There are there. Most of them are about American Idol, and most of them aren't what you wouldn't want to say in front of people in church. But that's a whole other thing. So, so idolatry is not necessarily something. I mean, how how often have you heard about idolatry outside of church in your life? Raise your hand if you have it all. Okay, exactly. Like this is not something that we that we talk about out in the world at all. We don't, we, we just don't talk about idols. 
we often talk about allegiances. We talk about who we're a fan of. We talk about, you know, what's important to us in some ways. But we don't, we don't connect that with idols because we just really don't, at least in our world, we don't run into a lot of people who have statues set up that they worship the statue or the thing. Now, we have lots of things in our homes that other people from another time might come and go, oh, do you worship this particular thing? Like, for whatever reason, we have lots of pictures of our family up. And in some places, you know, family that is deceased. And so, and there might be, there might be candles there or something. And someone who didn't know any different might go, oh, well, is this, who is this that you worship? If they were from a different time. So, so, but we don't talk about, we don't talk about idol, idolatry in the, in the same way as they might have back in, in ancient times or in biblical times, because it's not really part of the way that we worship or the way that we, we think about things in our, our modern world. However, because of our brokenness, because of, because of the nature of sin, and again, big doctrine, but I really, and I've said this over and over and over again, we are idol worshipers at heart. We can make anything into something that is so important that we will move heaven and earth in order to, to, to keep that or to keep it the way that it is. Whether, whether we mean by something that we worship, worship as ultimate importance or something that we just worship because I just really like it that way. It happens with church buildings a lot. A lot. Christians love their church buildings. They love how they're put together. They love, because there are these fond memories there, right? Like in this congregation, there, there have been people who, you know, they were, they were, they were baptized here. They were brought here as children. They got married in this church, you know, and, and, and one day they hope to be buried out of this, out of this church. And so, for example, when we got ready to do this renovation, a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, I just can't imagine it being any different. It's a little bit of idol worship because this is where and how I meet God is in this way. It's a bit of an idol. And so that's just a little tiny way that we, that I like to think about idols. Tim Keller would say, a writer and a Presbyterian minister, would talk about sin, that sin is turning good things into ultimate things. That when we talk about, you know, you shouldn't have, an, have other idols, it's really what God is saying there, like in the Ten Commandments, not to make graven images. Don't, you're not supposed to worship anything more than me. If something is more important in your life than me, then you have an idol. And an idol does not have ultimate power. Only I have ultimate power. I am the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of heaven and earth. Only I have ultimate power. You should really only worship me. And that's where you should find your meaning and your purpose and, and all of those things. And so Martin Luther, Martin Luther asked this question and then answered it. What is it to have a God or what is one's God? The answer. To whatever we look for any good thing and for refuge in every need, that is what is meant, now he writes it in lowercase, God. Many a person imagines that 
and this is him writing some time ago, imagines that he has God and everything he needs provided he has money and property. It's interesting even in that 500 plus years ago, right? Material goods we know can easily become idols. We often bow down at the idol of respect and approval. We make that our ultimate, our ultimate pursuit is to have respect and approval, also personal income. I'm guessing that if we just had a casual conversation that if I said, hey, would you, you, would you like to make some more money? I'm guessing that 0.000% of you would say, oh no, I'm good. Don't need any more. Don't need any more. Don't, wouldn't have any plans for it. Right? I mean, it's all around us. The lottery, DraftKings, MGM. I mean, you know, it's, 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 let's get more money. Let's, let's do this. If you, you get on Instagram, you get, you get on Facebook, like there's all these ways to, to get rich quick and to do all of these things so that, so that then, because somehow that then means that you're successful. We bow down at these idols that tell us what's really important. And in some ways, we make them of ultimate importance figuring out what that number is for our retirement account. And not saying that these things don't have value. That's the part of it is that what Tim Keller said was turning good things into ultimate things. Turning good things into ultimate things. Idolatry, in my mind, really comes down to the question, what is important? Truly important. What is of ultimate importance to you? And that's a hard question to answer, isn't it? There's a lot of competing interests out there. And for people of faith, we, 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 we actually we face that question a lot. If you have children, and those children are interested in sports, there is a high expectation that you will not miss practices, games, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. There are punishments for that, and what happens then to the other important things of your life as a person of faith? Let's just say youth group. Is that what happens? Is is then when the youth group has something going on, and you've said, "Oh, that's important," but. This sport says, oh, my child is going to get punished if, I, if this child isn't there. Which decision are you making? I know which one you're making because I see you make it. I know what is of importance because I see it by our choices. Again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just we've got to be aware of what is of ultimate importance. What is going to serve us in serving God and in growing our faith? And what is it that we bow down to as part of culture, as part of what we think makes us happy? Because I'll be honest, and I've told you this, like being a person of faith, it's not fun a lot of the time. Because it requires discipline, and it requires, and it requires looking at yourself in the mirror, and it requires study, and it requires talking about things that most of us don't really want to talk about how we're living our life, 
what we're giving our lives to, what's important. I mean, the last thing I ever want to do is disappoint my kids. You know? Because they really loved the things that they did. And maybe they liked the things at church. But what's of importance? I just pick on that because it's an easy one, to be really honest. <laughs> because it's a choice that for many of our families, that's, that's the choice that they're making all the time. And I'll be frank, very frank. For our staff here at the church, it gets super frustrating to plan things months in advance, get it on everybody's calendar, do all of this, and then two weeks before, three-quarters of the people go, well, you know, Jenny's got a lacrosse game. Mary's going to got to be swimming that day. Oh, Okay. We didn't just plop this on your calendar a day before. This is your pastor being frank. Like, if it's important, please make it important. If it's part of your faith and all that. If it's not, just be honest. There's no judgment here. That, I'm not here to judge people. That is not my role. Jesus is going to do all that judging later. And what Jesus said about us, thank God, is that he took all of our brokenness and sin on himself. I mean, that's the good news, is that, yeah, I'm giving us a little bit of a coaching pep talk here about what's important, but the bottom line is, is that we're, we're sinful, broken people. We make decisions all the time that, that don't serve others, that only serve us, and sometimes we make decisions that we think serve us, which really don't, but that's another, another thing. Martin Luther says this, Question and explore your heart thoroughly and you will find out if it embraces God alone or not. Do you have it in your heart to expect nothing but good things from God, especially when you are in trouble and in need? And does your heart, in addition, give up and forsake everything that is not God? Then... If you do that, you have the one true God. On the other hand, is your heart attached to and does it rely on something else from which you hope to receive more good and more help than from God? And when things go wrong, do you, instead of fleeing to him, flee from him? Then you have another God, a false God, an idol. Guy didn't mince words, for sure. It's a hard, hard question. What's really important in my life? Because this God who gave everything for us, including his son, and his son who gave up his very life, that we might know life, that we might be healed of our brokenness, that we might be released from the bondage of idolatry. Because when we follow things that are not of ultimate importance, they lead to a dead end. They don't lead to life. They take life. Even if temporarily it feels wonderful and great. And so I've often said, you know, when, when God is in the right place in our lives, all the other gods fall into place. All of those other good things that are good, we, can, we have in their, in their place and we are able to make decisions to honor God in the midst of all of that. 
And we can honor God even in the middle of all these other things, right? By being the kind of people that God has called us to be wherever we are and whatever our other allegiances become. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, for our significance and our security. We are bound to it, bound to sin, bound to idolatry. We are idol worshipers at heart. And Jesus releases us from that slavery, from that bondage, to make those decisions, to live with the one true God as our only hope and our only aim in and through everything. And so today, I pray that you've been challenged. I pray that you've been lifted up in the knowledge that God loves us and has given all things to us. No matter what our decisions are, God's grace is sufficient for us in and through all things. May your discernment, may your thinking be made clear in God's love and hope and grace as you define what is truly important. Amen.